We want millennials to be paying for the wine, not the packaging. Glass is expensive, transport is expensive, pay for good wine and not the packaging. From the heart of the Oregon wine country, you're listening to season four of the Wine Crush podcast. Stories uncorked for casual wine enthusiasts around the world, featuring winemakers from the Willamette Valley. Sponsored by Country Financial. From origin stories to terroir, here is your host, Heidi Moore. Welcome, friends. We're happy to have you back with Wine Crush. This is the premiere of season four. We were definitely on hiatus for a little while with everybody else. This is our maiden voyage in our brand new studio in McMinnville. We are super excited to have everybody here. Today, we have the girls from Distaff Wine, or at least three of them. And we have Evan Bellinger with Bellinger Estates. So we were gonna, we're going to start with the girls. So welcome, girls. I want to introduce all of you. We got Moira, we got Maisie, and we got Bridget. And who else are we missing? We're missing Mom. We're missing mom and we're missing our little sister Roisin who we call our intern she gets our coffee oh well everybody needs an intern so you know I always kind of you know come back to this you know how I actually kind of stumbled across you what kind of caught my eye and it was really the fact that here's this girl group that is all girls making wine all by themselves but they have this history behind them with the family and it just it, it total peak of interest and so hence here you are so I want you to start with the story how did you get here you know what's your plans going forward but let's start from the beginning well we've actually been in wine our whole lives stepping out into the public is a very new thing for us but we've been in wine since before we can remember. Our dad is the winemaker from, he started back in the 80s. So our first jobs were, you know, picking grapes and crushing the grapes and working harvests. We learned a lot in the, the winery and the vineyard. We kind of went our own paths for a little while. We went to college and we came back and worked in the wine industry again. And then we realized, hey, we've been doing this behind the scenes for basically our whole lives. Let's actually share our story. And I think that a lot of women have that same sort of story where they do have a lot of experience and they kind of tend to be behind the scenes. And we really wanted to start a company that would showcase those women in those fields that have actually been doing things their whole lives in an industry, but maybe haven't had the voice or the opportunity to actually talk about it. And it's so interesting that you say that because you do hear that a lot. I mean, and that's kind of been the commonality and the common theme, not only with the women of the wine industry, but really everybody. I mean, you guys are different in the fact that you are second generation and we're not seeing that or haven't seen that in the past, but we're starting to see that more. So did you like growing up in the vineyard? I know growing up on a dairy, the last thing I wanted to do was to milk a cow again. We did like it. It was definitely really hard and a lot of people thought it was very glorified growing up in a vineyard, but it wasn't. <laughs> we would have to like wake up super early, got very dirty, but looking back on it, we loved it a lot. Yeah, we get the comment like, oh, working in a vineyard, that must have been so romantic. And we get that the movies do show that, but it's, it's farming. We'd wake up and be killing rattlesnakes and it'd be really cold. And, <laughs> you know, it's definitely a very down to earth, but rewarding industry to be in. That was one thing that really blew me away when I really started kind of getting into this wine thing and learning the vineyards and really on the agriculture side that you just don't plant the things in the ground and let them go. It's constant work all year. Like right now is probably your slowest period, I would assume, in the fact that you're probably, you know, cutting, you know, last year's you know branches off. I forget what it's called. So sorry. But, you know, but then as soon as like April and bed break hits, I mean, you guys are on full duty. Right. Yeah. 
that was our summer job. Depending on our season of life, it was either coming back from college or working in between high school or just working early mornings before school. There was always something to do. You know, if we had school, we'd wake up at five and get a couple hours of work in. And, you know, we would always get paid, but we're we start from the bottom up. We're getting paid what everybody else does. And yeah, it was it's a lot of work, but it's fun gives you a lot of character and it also gives you a a work ethic that is different than, you know, others. Yeah. And it helps you see wine in a different way. I think a lot of people see wine as the tasting notes that they are. And for us, you know, Malbec is like that block that we planted or, you know, Cab is that block that was super windy and we would have to wake up. You know, you just understand things in a different way when you actually have your hands dirty in it. I think you have a whole different appreciation just in general for it. I mean, not only the work that goes into the grape before it goes into the bottle, but then, you know, is the easy part then the cellar and the the crush? Is that the easier part for you guys? I wouldn't say that's easy. It's a different type of hard. We would do what we call punch downs a lot, which is basically stirring the wine. And you definitely get some upper muscles with that. There's just different types of hard work. The easy part, you know, at the end of the day is is drinking the wine. I think pretty much the whole winemaking process has to do with some pretty hard work, but it's just fun. There's just different types of work. So there's three of you. So I'm assuming you all are doing different things. I know what Maisie does, and we're going to talk with her in a little bit. But what is the division of of your duties, so to speak? So for me, I've already started a company before this. It was a hard cider company in California, and it gave me some really valuable skills in marketing. And I, I sold all of our hard cider and I did all the marketing. So I've carried that through to the wine industry, just kind of navigating and, and evolving with it. So I've built all of our websites and I manage our e-commerce and everything has to do with the marketing and selling of the wine. But we all kind of take on, you know, we kind of do all of the jobs and then more I'll let you say what you do. Yeah so before this I was a taste room manager and I love doing taste room work so my initial job was to be the taste room manager for our company but then COVID hit so right now I'm doing all shipping because we're a DTC which is really fun. Explain that because I know what DTC is, but not everybody does. So direct to consumer. So we ship direct to consumer. So I take care of all of that. So we do online shipping. So people order from our website. And yeah, so right now I take care of that, which I didn't do before. Yeah, and that's a huge job, too, because we had to pivot a lot with COVID. So we were initially planning on doing a tasting room. And then when COVID hit, we realized we'd have to switch to shipping real fast. And luckily, the bottles that we use are PET. They're lightweight plastic. And so it allowed us to ship wine for free. And that was really important to us because as millennial buyers, free shipping is just kind of the hot topic. And it's, you know, if I see free shipping, I want to do that. So we tried to figure out a way where we could offer that. And this type of bottle, I mean, a normal case of wine is 47 pounds, and this is under 20 for a case of wine. So that allows us to ship for free. So we offer free shipping nationally, where, except for the few states that don't allow shipping. And so we get a lot of shipping orders. So for her to say she does shipping is actually not a small endeavor. It's a full-time job. It I mean, is. whether it's, you know, club shipping or online order shipping or whatever shipping, I don't like going to the post office. So, uh, you know, I, I get the shipping thing. I don't want to do it. So I was going to save your bottles for, and talk about those until kind of more the end, as far as like the eco-friendly and the plastic, they're not plastic, whatever they are. But when we were opening these other, the other day and we were doing our Wednesday wine thing, well, Wednesday, the first thing that, you know, one of us mentioned was like, oh, there's just not as much wine in that bottle as there is in the glass bottle sitting right next to it, which is not the case. So why this style of bottle? 
Well, we wanted to keep a sense of traditionalism about the wine bottle. Wine is seeped in tradition. But then again, I hate it when people say we have this bottle because that's the way things are. It makes me want to challenge it immediately when people say we do this because it's the way things are. So we went with a lighter, more eco-friendly bottle for several reasons. I mentioned the shipping, but also just, you know, as again, I hate to keep saying this, but millennial buyers, we like new, exciting things. And this is a fun way to keep traditionalism. It looks like a regular bottle, but it's in fact really, really thin. And so it looks like it has less wine, but it's in fact the same amount as a much thicker, stockier bottle that you usually see on the shelves. For someone like me that is outdoors all the time on a boat up the river, these are like my probably new best friends because I don't have to worry about dropping these, breaking them, shattering them, and being in all kinds of trouble with whoever I'm with or my husband for that matter if I drop it and break it on the boat. But this was such a cool thing when I was over there talking to you. It just kind of took me by surprise. So the one thing that I was a little bit confused about, and I think all of us are, is you have distaff wine, but then you have your your Nomen wine as well, which is in these these smaller bottles, these pliable bottles. What's the difference? So Distaff is our company as a whole. That's our platform where we're going to use to tell our story. And we're going to have several sub-brands. In fact, we already have a few. They're just not quite released. And Nomen is going to be our eco-friendly ship-to-your-door line of wine. So we're not going to be shipping any glass. We've realized over our research into wine bottles that glass is just no longer sustainable way to transport wine. It contributes to 60% of the carbon emissions of a single wine bottle. So we're not against glass bottles. It's the way to age wine, but we are no longer going to ship them ourselves. So Nomen Wine is going to be our shippable to your door, eco-friendly wine line. And then we are also going to be offering ageable wine and glass bottles under our distaff name, but it'll just be sold through our tasting room. Perfect. That's the clarity that we needed. So I watched your video this morning on Instagram and no men wasn't no men, even though there's no men in your little group here, but it did have a different meaning. Why don't you explain that to us? Because it was really cool. means surname in Latin. So we all have the same last name, O'Reilly. So it kind of means like the family name. But then we're also playing off of the no men because we're all girls company. But, you know, men still work for us. We have four brothers. So, you know, we're not excluding men. Yes, some people ask, like, do you hate men because you have no men? It's like, well, I have four brothers, so it depends on the day you ask us. (laughs) That's always the way it is with brothers, I guess. They can work for us. Yeah, <laughs> they just can't. They just can't be on the podcast and yeah, in the pictures. Exactly. Not not yet. Well, we haven't talked about the wine, and I want to get Maisie in here because she is doing the designing of the wines. And we also have these beautiful bottles. As most of you know, we pour wine through this entire podcast, so we need to kind of switch it up. I see a pink wine, and I see a red wine, and let's go into the wine and see what you guys are doing. Now that we have pink wine in our glass, we have a we have a trio of wine, and I know you guys have more than just these three wines that are sitting in front of us. We've started with the the Sauve Blanc, and we're now drinking the Dry Rosé, and then Moira has chosen the Malbec because that is her favorite, from what I understand. And so we're going to talk about the wine. So you're not just making wine from Willamette Valley. You mentioned rattlesnakes, which we do not have in the Willamette Valley, so you've got to be somewhere else. So right now, we're actually sourcing for this vintage everything from Columbia Valley. And then for future vintages, we'll be sourcing, you know, anywhere from Yakima Valley to Willamette Valley. And the 
our rationality behind vineyards is is the people. We've had the opportunity to work with some amazing growers over the years. The guy who taught us everything we know about viticulture and growing up in the vineyard now runs a very large vineyard near Yakima Valley. So we choose the people and their growing practices versus, you know, where we are. And it happens to be mostly Willamette, Yakima, and the Columbia Valley. So for this vintage in particular, it's a collection of small family vineyards in Columbia Valley, and that'll change up in the future for different vintages. I love that. Okay, we're going to talk about the labels because the labels are probably my favorite. The wine's really good, but the labels are just super cool. I love the fight like a sister. I like the back label. I really like the whole feel of this. And me as a label person, when I used to pick wine, I would have pulled this off the shelf. Yeah, I'm also very, I'm a very visual person. When I see a label, that's kind of how I judge a wine. But when we were first coming up with this label, I was thinking I had that mindset It was like, oh, this is a wine. We need to have a wine label. But it just wasn't working out because I get bored looking at my own artwork. And then I think it was Bridget actually came up to me. She was like, she was like, oh, I think you're overthinking it. Like, draw what you want to see on the shelf. And I was like, okay, I'm going to draw like comic figures. And that's just, it just developed from there. And like, that's what we have right now. And I love them. Like, I would buy it. Yeah, I think they're great. Like, for me, it's very eye-catching, and it pulls my attention almost instantly, and it helps that the wine is really good on the inside, too, so... Well, Maisie's like, I always say that she's an adventure junkie. She gets bored really easily. She always wants to do the next thing. And for the longest time, she used to be like, the wine industry is so boring. And she didn't mean like the vineyards. She loved the vineyards and she loved the cellar. She just meant like the thing that you see when you buy wine was so boring to her. And so I always thought she would make great labels because just draw what you like, like make something exciting. And I think a lot of times you kind of feel like you have to be stuck in this box that other people tell you you need to be in as a winery or, or creating your brand. And we're really trying to reach to people like us that maybe also think that the wine industry is boring or unapproachable or scary and actually just draw things that we like or create a brand that we like. It seems like I'm seeing that more and more. I mean, that was the one thing that really kept me away from it is the fact that it just felt kind of stuffy and it felt very kind of hoity-toity. And I love seeing things that are light and fresh and out of the box. And you're kind of rocking the wine world, you know, rocking the boat. You might sink it a couple times, but, you know, it'll bring attention to you as a whole and your label. And I just think it's just fantastic. So as far as like these three, what else are you making in this line particularly? So the one that's missing here is our cab. So we have a rosé, a Sauvignon Blanc, a Malbec, and a cab. So those four, and then we're going to be coming out with another release, hopefully in late spring with a whole other set of wines. We're still, you know, fine picking everything, maybe have a blend in there. But yeah, we're just having fun with it. Those are our four for now, and we definitely want to switch them up every time we, we do a new release. So on the distaff side of things, what are your varietals on that side? So for our distaff, we want to have a little bit more of like a serious, memorable wine line. So one that you can lay down and age or you can drink now, you know, it's whatever you choose. So the one we have now is in a glass bottle and it's a Pinot Noir that we're still, we'll start finishing up right there. You know, going back to your video that I watched earlier this morning, the one thing you said that is most people drink that bottle of wine the day they buy it. What's that stat? And and is that kind of where this no men 
really comes in handy in the fact that this isn't really a lay down wine. This is a, you know, let's buy this and drink this right now and enjoy it and really immerse ourselves in the experience that we just had at your winery or tasting room or vineyard or whatever. Yeah, there are quite a few studies out in the Wine Business Monthly. I've seen anywhere from 90% of wine is drank within two weeks to 96% is drank within three hours. I mean, there's a ton of different studies, but basically it comes down to the majority of people drink wine very soon after purchase. And so we're really catering towards that. You know, if if it's true that 96% of wine is drank within three hours of purchase, that means less than 4% of wine actually needs to be in a glass bottle because it's not being aged. Like we need to have some sort of container to hold wine that is less wasteful than the glass bottle if it's true that 96% of wine is being drank the same day of purchase. And so that's where we really came up with these bottles is, you know, just being in the wine industry for our whole lives, you see the waste, you see the glass bottles being shipped in, in these cases that you then take out of the boxes, they go through, you get put into new boxes, they get sent to the winery. All of that is heavy and leads to carbon emission. Then they end up at your winery where you then take them out of those second boxes, put them into shipping with pulp shippers and heavy, and then you ship out this 47 pound case of wine. And we just thought there had to be a better way of, of seeing that whole process and realizing the amount of carbon emission and the amount of waste and footprint that that's leaving. Well, and I know as a girl, a 46-pound case of wine kills my back. And so I'm like, I'm good for a couple cases, and then I'm, I'm done. So picking this case up was just such a, I mean, it was crazy. And if I remember right, your price point on this particular line of wine is very affordable, and you have mentioned the millennials a lot, and we were just talking about this yesterday, is that the millennials are kind of the new, the new group that is really getting into wine. Yeah, for sure. Millennials, I think, I actually read this article today. It says millennials love wine, but wineries just are still realizing that. And as millennials in the wine industry, we do realize that we are them. And so we're just, we're speaking to us at the end of the day. We like affordable wine. We like good wine. And so we want millennials to be paying for the wine, not the packaging. Glass is expensive. Transport is expensive. Pay for good wine and not the packaging. Perfect. Well, we're coming to the end. And so I want to make sure that everybody knows where to find you for tastings, find you for online buying, find you for everything. We're on Instagram at Distaff Wine or at No Men Wine. Our websites are the same, distaffwine.com or nomenwine.com, Twitter, Facebook, the same as well. Perfect. So you're everywhere. Everywhere. It's a normal millennial thing to do is to be on every platform, right? Whenever I don't know if a platform, I just ask Meezy, she tells me. Soon on TikTok. (laughs) Okay, that's over my head. Yep, I'm out of that millennial group. Well, thanks, girls, ladies, for joining us. Thank you so much. Yes, this was super fun. I can't wait. We didn't get to the red, but we will after we're done here. All in good time. Yes. And stay tuned for our next guest. Evan with Bellinger Estates is going to join us in just a moment. Okay, let's take a moment and talk about some food really quick. Even though you can't see this, we just had some mouthwatering food delivered for some post-recording snacks by the chef of Pira Vida here in downtown McMinnville, and we cannot wait to dig in. Their award-winning Latin American dishes are absolutely stunning and perfect for the gram. Plus, they're true to local and fresh ingredients, which you can't go wrong with. And best of all, they're our food partner, You can see all these dishes on our Instagram, on their Instagram, and be sure to place your orders to go at puravitamac.com. Bon appetit, y'all.
Thanks for sticking with us. I hope you poured yourself a glass of wine while we took a little bit of a break there. We are back and we have Evan Bellinger with Bellinger Estates. I've been working on that and you can go Bellinger and you get the whole thing right. That's perfect. Thank you. Perfect. Okay. I had the pleasure of coming out and seeing you and your lovely wife, Kim, out at your estate in Newburgh. And the thing that I really liked about really where I found you, again, Instagram seems to be my gold mine, but Every picture that is on there are so many of them have so many personalities. Your kids are there. It's it's really just it's you guys. Yeah, we thanks for coming out for starters and thanks for having us today. And we really enjoy like living on the farm and like living in the wine business where we've got the tasting room there. We've got the vineyard. We make wine in the garage and we're just trying to show folks what that's like, you know, and it's like the kids helping with suckering and like helping bottle wine and things like that. How do we get people, if they can't make it out to the farm, and that's been a lot of challenge this year, how do we get them out virtually to see what our life is like? Well, you did a good job because you grabbed my attention. And for me, it means a lot to see a family involved in an enterprise like that. And, and it's hard work as we just talked with the girls, you know, with this staff. So having your kids start early, you're training your future help, right? Yeah. And that's my big question too, as you mentioned about uh, growing up in the dairy business, like how do I make this fun enough that the kids will actually want to take it on? And I think hopefully you make it nice, you have nice wines and you have something that's not a drag and try to convince the kids that, man, getting to be able to work outside and be in the weather is actually, it's a huge blessing. It's really fun. Absolutely. So I do want to start from the beginning because I want to start from, you know, how you... Born in a hospital in 1984. Perfect. Perfect. That's maybe a little bit too far back, but, you know, where did you and Kim start this journey? Because she kind of explained it to me and I kind of had some aha moments as we were going through this going, this is actually really cool as the far as the progression. I'm not from a farming background, but I was uh, knew I wanted to. I love growing things growing up. So I'm from Northwest Washington, a town called Bellingham, and came to Oregon to learn how to make wine and grow grapes and go to school. So down at Oregon State, I met the beautiful Kim Bellinger, and we later got married. It was a beautiful love story, but that's a different podcast. And we started making wine in the garage at OSU in 2005. And then I went to work in vineyard management, and Kim ended up spending 12 vintages at Adelsheim, and which is a winery up here. And after we'd been making wine in the garage for 10 years, which went by super fast, we just looked at each other and it's like, man, if we're ever going to go commercial, we should do it. And that was with a 2014 vintage. And that was before we had the property and, and the tasting room and things like that. And we're so glad we did. And it's introduced us to a lot of wonderful folks. When Kim was telling me about that, because I started chit-chatting and drinking wine with with Kim and then you kind of joined us halfway through but having you working for the vineyard management side of it you have the grape growing piece of it really is your day job and in your pocket and with her being on kind of more of a, a larger winery doing all kinds of different tasks with them you guys really have this amazing background to start your own little project and and blow it up. Yeah, hopefully. That's that's definitely the goal. And it's it's fun when you're in the business, but you're working for clients and you're like, you know, people make different choices. And you're like, man, if I ever had my own thing, I would do it this way. And this is our chance to do that. And from the site selection and clones spacing in the vineyard, this is our chance to try something. So we can make some conservative choices in terms of clones and varieties. And then we get to take a couple flyers and say, like, how can we push the envelope in terms of innovation and learning? And so I find that really fun to have that background in the vineyard business because I've planted many vineyards. So this isn't our first vineyard. It's the first for us, but we get some of that experience. 
So I guess the million dollar question is, are you still making wine in the closet or in the garage? We are. Yeah. It's fun because like there's no reason to it. We, we can't sell it because we're not bonded there in the garage. But we love it. It's fun. We get wine from the Materi Vineyard and I convinced that guy through basically halfway stocking him to plant a vineyard, you know, 10, 11 years ago. And so we've gotten grapes from him every, every year since then, since it's been bearing. And we have friends come over and help us destem it, press it down by hand. And so for us, it's really fun because our wines that we have for sale are made commercially by professional winemakers who are great at it. And our garagiste wine, the wine man in the garage, that's us and our family. And it's really fun. So there's like the big part of the business and the small, like it couldn't get any smaller than that. So that's fun. Okay. So I got to go back to that word you just used. Is that really truly a term? Garagiste. Or is that just a fancy word for saying I make wine in a garage? I think it's the French word for making wine in a garage. And there's a, it's interesting in the wine business. I find it fascinating because there's in some cases a lot of innovation and then so much of it is, is tradition and not, you know, innovative at all, really. And so the garagiste movement, if I understand it correctly, was like folks in France that wanted to innovate and try new things. And they made these amazing wines in their garage that rivaled what they could be done in the great chateaus. And but it wasn't done at this grand scale. So it's the it's garagiste. That's the word. Okay, so I've learned something new because I really thought you were full of it and you were just making (laughs) things up just to make it sound fancy. Oh, I'm also full of it. Well, your wife warned me about that. (laughs) So I, you know, I got myself prepped for it. I want to go back to the vineyard, but I also, you know, I've got to go back to huge kudos to the both of you because you have three kids, but they're littles. So you are like, you're going all over the place. Not only are you trying to teach them how to be in the vineyard, but you're also I think you're chasing one that's just now walking or hasn't been walking very long. Yes, chasing is the right word. Yeah, children, Aria is six, Nico is three, or as he says it, free, and Leo is almost one. And it's certainly challenging and in terms of corralling everybody. Kim, particularly this year, has taken on more of that than I have and done an amazing job keeping it all together. But it's also been kind of fun, like as the tasting room was being constructed this past year, you know, Nico would go, I want to go tasting room. I want to go tasting room. So while it's being built, we'd go out there and we'd play in the gravel and throw rocks. And, you know, kids don't need the iPad all the time. It's like being outside just triggers something and they, they have fun and they can keep themselves entertained for a long time. Absolutely. Really, like we were playing on, actually it was me because it was like me and Aria were running up a big pile of gravel. And like that totally took me back to growing up in Bellingham where like in a construction project, you'd be running up a pile of gravel and it was just fun. It was just what you do for hours. Absolutely. And it can be so creative and it's good exercise too. Yeah. I do want to go back to the vineyard because Kim was explaining to me the blocks that you were doing. And if I remember right, she loves Chardonnay. So that one had to be like shoved in there somewhere. But there's also future plans. I mean, you'd already kind of mentioned the different clones and whatnot. But being a vineyard manager, you have all this different knowledge and information about these different clones, whether they're hybrid clones, the traditionals. What exactly is your plan out there? Yeah, so we've got two acres of Pinot Noir, Pomard and Triple Seven. So one of the earliest clones here in Oregon with Pomard and then Triple Seven with the Dijon clones. And then in the Chardonnay, we have clones 76 and 95, which are very common in Oregon. They make amazing wines. And then we also kind of wanted to push the envelope a little bit. A lot of great Oregon Chardonnays are made with 95 and 76. And so we did a Mount Eden clone. And now we're grafting over. We're going to do another clone of Chardonnay called Robert Young. And so we're really excited about that. And, you know, we want to help build the body of knowledge here in Oregon. So it's it's fun to be able to do a small part of that. I think 
it was you that we were talking about these different, you know, trellising systems. Because usually you see the the v, VS vertical pos, shoot positioning. Yes, VSP. There we go. We got to stumble through that. But you're not using that. We're building onto that. Yes. Okay. So we have set up our system where we can do something called Scott Henry. And that is a vine that will eventually have two canes that grow vertically. So it's like a vertical shoot positioning system. But then there are two more canes, and those are trained to grow down. And so you end up with twice the amount of canopy and the potential for almost twice as much fruit. And so it gets you more grapes per acre, essentially. And it's a really innovative technique invented here in Oregon by a guy named Scott Henry. And it really can move the needle in terms of profitability and can help balance vigor on thicker soils. So we're really excited about being able to use that because I, I think it'll work for, for our site and for the kinds of wines we want to make. That's excellent. Well, speaking of wines, we've poured the Pinot, which is Lovely, oh, but I, if I'm spying across the table, I see a bottle of Syrah over there that I think we probably need to break open. All right, let's make it happen. I've got Syrah in my glass now, so life is fantastic. Good, great, however you want to say it. Syrah is one of my favorites, and as I saw the S on the bottle, kind of because it's turned away from me, and I think you told me you brought it, but I'm just like, ugh, we've got to pour that before we're done here, so... Yeah, it's one of the crowd favorites back home. So Kim's always like, do we have any bottles of Syrah open? Hmm, yeah, and very much encourages it. And uh, yeah, so this is, the first one you tried was our uh, Reserve Pinot Noir, and this is our, our South Pass Syrah. And so this is a fun collaboration. I really envy the beer business because they'll do collaborations where they can try out new ingredients, new varieties, and things like that. And the wine industry doesn't always do that. So this was our attempt to do something fun. Kind of started here during COVID and our friends at Copper Belt Winery over in Baker City, Oregon. I went to school with Travis, known him forever, and he had some straw available and we created this really cool collaboration between our wineries. We love the wine. The Syrah is grown at about 3,400 feet of elevation. So to me, it's a very distinct Syrah, like that elevation. It's a warm climate, but a very, very cool site in it. So it maintains that acidity. And to me, it has like the sagebrush juniper, like beautiful light aromas and the brightness of the acidity, I think is really unique. So that is so interesting because I did spend some time over in the Caldwell, Boise, Sunny Slope area in July kind of exploring and someone had told me the elevation over there and I've been kind of through Baker City, not really to Baker City. And when they told me 2,700 feet, I'm just like, there's no way. I mean, the average footage around here is what? The sweet spot is six to 800, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So RSA Vineyards at 250 feet, and then there's vineyards going up, you know, 800, 900, 1,000 feet. And so for us on the west side to think about 2,000 feet or 3,000 feet is crazy. But they have such a warm summer that the vines can catch up. Travis and I will be texting over the year of like, you know, oh, we're at bud break here in the valley, and he hasn't broken bud yet. And then we're at six inches, and he hasn't broken bud yet. And so those, those shoots come out later, but then they really catch up in that very warm summer. It's absolutely crazy. It's super cool. So thank you for bringing that and well, bringing that to my attention because I will be back to grab more of that because it is really good. You can, I'm not a big on, on phenolics and bringing out tastes and flavors, but you can kind of taste like what you were talking about with that Eastern Oregon kind of climate and atmosphere. Yeah, it's very different for me than like a typical Syrah you're used to. 
So Kim said something to me that has stuck with me, and you were not in the room when she said this. And oh, she, I'm worried already. No, you shouldn't be. She may kill me, but I don't think so. I think this is just part of her thing. But she told me when we were talking about wine is that she wanted to make wines that she could drink and pair with Domino's pizza. And to me, that hit like hit gold. Not that I'm a huge Domino's fan, but, you know, you get asked all the time, can you pair, you know, red wine with pizza? Well, yes. Several nights a week if you're at our house. That's right. And we we're millennials. We're older millennials than the folks at uh, Distaff, but we're also millennials and we feel like wine should be approachable. And I feel like the wine industry is missing something if we're not reaching people where they are. And we want folks to have kind of gateway beverages into the wine business because our most expensive bottle of wine right now is the South Pass Syrah at $35. And, you know, there may be a time when there's more expensive wines, but nobody will get there if they don't find you at $20, at $30, at $40, you know. You've got to build a network and a funnel for folks to get excited about it. And so for us, the chance to make $20 Pinot Noir that tastes delicious, it tastes like Oregon Pinot, it has body and varietal character and red cherry and smoke, and like you will get excited about that. And that's a person, if you can make that magic moment with a wine, then they'll follow you for, for years. And we opened a bottle of this the other night. I mean, we did our Wine Wednesdays here to kind of, you know, prep the show and let everybody know who was here, you know, but I had, you know, three quarters of a bottle of red wine left to take home, darn it. And so, you know, we made steak that night and it's become kind of a tradition in my house with my husband and I, who was a new wine drinker that was anti-wine from the beginning. He was a Mr. PBR. And now, you know, he's like, okay, well, you know, we play pool every night. You know, we have a couple games of pool after dinner, drink some wine, sometimes three bottles of wine. It just depends on, you know, I guess how good the game is. But, you know, we finished that bottle of wine and he asked specifically for another bottle of the Pinot. And I'm like, "Mm, sorry, sorry, friend, I don't have any more, but I know a guy. That's right. Come on out to uh, North Valley Road. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to know kind of what else is in your lineup. I know there's Chardonnay because that's Kim's favorite. There's Pinot and there's Syrah. Yeah, we have two Chardonnays, our Oregon Chardonnay that for us is a bright, crisp apple, stainless steel fermented, a reserve Chardonnay, and then a uh, Pinot Noir that's Oregon appellated that's approachable and cherry. And then our reserve Pinot Noir here that you've tried, that's a blend of wine from two different vineyards that I manage and have planted even. And then our South Pass Syrah. That's a nice lineup. I mean, that's a great lineup, especially for, I mean, you're fairly new kind of with, actually your tasting room is beautiful. Super cool. Very laid back, very casual. I like that. Kim has her quilts on the wall because she is a quilting queen and they're just beautiful and stunning, but it's a comfortable atmosphere for somebody to come in, open the roll-up doors when it's nice outside. I was not there when it was nice. It was raining (laughs) sideways and upside down, but it's just, it's really inviting. Well, thank you. And Kim was really excited and it was actually pretty late in the process when she realized, oh my gosh, I can put my quilts on the wall here. And then it was like, now I'm really excited about the project because Kim's been quilting with her mother and before that with her grandmother her entire life. She's always been like the youngest person at Quilt Week and Sisters forever. And so now instead of like being in a, in a closet somewhere, she can bring that craft out and show folks. And that's something she really loves about our tasting room is so the, the cut flowers she can grow, the quilts she can show, and then the local farming products that we're able to have like hazelnuts and chocolates and things that shows it's not just about wine. We have chickens on the property. Like wine is an important part of this ag fabric here in Oregon. 
What a great way to put it. I mean, it really truly is a great way to wrap that whole thing up. I mean, that told your story really in about two or three sentences. Nice work. Perfect. Yes. Well, we need to find you. So where where can we find you? Perfect. Um, the greatest place to see awkward selfie videos is Instagram. So that's at Bellinger Estates and Bellinger is A-R at the end. And then our website, BellingerEstates.com. And then our tasting room is out on North Valley Road. So what else should we know? What else should you know? You should come out and visit us. Perfect. Hit us up, some DMs. Uh, we've got a phone number. And come out, and we just really want to see people and to show them some delicious wines. Well, perfect. Well, I'm so glad that you took the chance and made the maiden voyage with us in our new studio here. I just so appreciate your time, Evan. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you to all our listeners for tuning in today. And don't forget to follow Wine Crush Podcast on social media and your favorite podcasting platform. And make sure to review and subscribe to the show, as well as joining the newsletter to be notified on all Wine Crush happenings on winecrushpodcast.com. Cheers, y'all. And remember, life is short. Drink the wine. We want to give a special thanks to our partners of Wine Crush Podcast, sponsored by Country Financial, produced and managed by the Daydream Agency, audio engineered by Silent Outburst Productions, our culinary partner, Pure Vita Casina, and to all our wonderful listeners in the Oregon wine country and around the world. If you've listened this far and you give a damn, head to winecrushpodcast.com to learn more. Cheers and drink the wine. Drink the wine.